Let's turn to Second Chronicles. How often do you hear a sermon from Chronicles? But as we go through the whole story of the Bible, we want to make sure we touch in in each, each book of the Bible best we can. Second Chronicles. Chronicles is a condensed history of the Old Testament. It especially covers the material in 2 Samuel and First and 2 Kings. So there's a lot of overlap. And yet 55% of the material in First and 2 Chronicles is new. That's not found in Samuel and Kings. So it's not like... Well, why should I read Chronicles? It's just a repeat of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. It's not the case at all. It's specifically it was written after the southern kingdom went into exile and came back. And so it's a history book intended for Israel not to make the same mistakes twice. One of the Reasons that helps us to believe that this truly is God's word is it doesn't pull any punches. This is the history of a recorded of a people, and they don't sugarcoat it. Very honest about the mistakes they made, the idolatry they fell into. And so the, we can learn from the book of Chronicles not to make similar mistakes in our life. And when we get off track, how to get back on track. Chronicles focuses mostly on the southern kingdom. It'll mention the northern kingdom, and it's mostly about the southern kingdom, the Davidic dynasty, the Davidic covenant, that God has not turned his back on his people, that his promises are still true, that there's still a hope and a future for Israel. We're going to look specifically at one of the kings in the southern kingdom, we've mentioned him before, his name's Asa. That was during the message on Elijah, the prophet. Elijah was in the north during the reign of wicked king Ahab, but in the south is Asa. Asa's reign went for 40-some odd years. 40 years, could you imagine? I'm turning 44 this month. I mean, that is my lifetime in one reign. You've got to remember, as you're reading the Bible, these aren't isolated events. It's, it's history. It, it takes time for events to unfold. You have to read with a discerning eye what was going on in the culture, what was happening. Think about how much our country has changed in 40 years. It's not static. Don't read history of Israel and think it was all the same all the time. While Asa reigned for 40 years, there were eight different kings in the northern kingdom. They all turned their back on the Lord, but Asa kept his eye on the Lord and did what was good and right in the Lord's eyes. That is why his reign lasted so long and was so successful. So we're going to use the metaphor of a race or a walk and look at Asa's life and break his reign up into three parts. Kind of the getting out of the gates, and then those, that middle part of the race, 
and then the finish. And you can draw parallels in your own life. I don't know where you are. If you consider yourself at the beginning of the race, the middle, or near the end. But we'll give you some biblical principles to help you through each part of the race. Chronicles 14.1 Abijah, that's the king before Asa, slept with his fathers, means he died, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa his son reigned in his place. In his days the land had rest for ten years, and Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. That's getting out of the gate with a good start. Did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Not what was right in the eyes of Asa. Not even what was good and right based on the traditions handed down to him. But going to the word of God and finding out what is good and what is right. Number one then, at the beginning of our race... Commit to worship the true God. Commit to worship the true God and clear out sin and idolatry. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest. Under him. The kingdom had rest. This term rest is theologically pregnant in the Bible. It's more than just deliverance from your enemies. It, it means a lack of internal strife. Not that they didn't have problems as a kingdom. There's going to be problems, right? All just the day-to-day things that go into a society and a nation prospering. It has its ups and downs, but in general, the nation had rest. Rest from its enemies. Rest from internal strife. The, the people were cohesive. They, they were on the same page. They were all committed to living out the commands of the Lord. They were firing on all cylinders. Ultimately, in the theological sense, we understand that our rest comes through faith in Christ. Rest from the guilt and shame of our sin. And the fear of that penalty of that sin. Jesus taking that penalty on himself on the cross. Do you have rest this morning? Do you have the peace that passes all understanding that only comes with placing your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and trusting in His finished work on the cross. Many of your life's problems won't go away, but you'll get a whole new perspective on life, knowing that God is now for me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And He indeed is working all things together for my good. This is how our walk starts, with coming to saving faith. I asked you at the beginning of the service to remember that day when your walk started with the Lord. Oh, you had been walking already. You'd already been living life. But as we read from Ephesians 2, you were the walking dead. I was the walking dead until God made me alive in Christ Jesus. 1999, the day I came 
alive in Christ. Everything changed. Literally, everything. Whole new life, cleaning out sin and idolatry and wickedness and looking at life through the lens of the Bible and couldn't get enough of God's Word and attending as many Bible studies as I could and reading my Bible and listening to sermons on online. Of course, at that time, you're not very discerning. You'll listen to anybody teaching the Bible. Praise God, He put good teachers in my life. Secondly, let's see what, what Asa did with this rest. I have this theory, it's just personal theory, my wife and I hold to it, that when you first come to Christ, often God gives you kind of an easy path at the beginning. Not for everybody, but I, I noticed this trend where brand new believers, God really carefully nourishes that seed along. And you get this idea that, wow, this is going to be easy. I think what God is doing is He knows what you can handle. And He says in His Word, He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. It seemed like everything was just turning up roses for us. And uh, financially, God was uh, covering some really poor financial decisions we had made before we were believers. The idea is He's... Walking with God and obeying His Word isn't going to eliminate all the trials out of your life, but it will bring rest. And what are you going to do with that rest? Here's what Asa did. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him, and He has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. It's a good plan. Don't squander that rest. Don't get lazy. Don't take that fortune and that extra money or resources or whatever it is God blesses you with and squander it on worldly living. It's time to invest in the spiritual disciplines. Learn to pray. Learn to serve. Find your spiritual gift. Exercise it in the church and in the community. Make disciples. Be part of an accountability group. Learn from others. All of this will prepare you for when the trials inevitably come. God's not going to give you easy street the whole time. Because we grow through trials, so God is certainly going to allow trials in your life. Don't say, I'll go on cruise control and when the trial comes, then I'll start with the spiritual disciplines. It'll be too late. Fortify the cities of your heart with the Word of God and obedience to His Word. If you're just starting off on the race of the Christian life. It's time to take inventory and see how you can invest during that time of rest. Building up, growing, maturing in Christ. 
says, and Asa had an army. He had an army of 580,000, which sounds like a lot until the first trial comes. Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. I can't imagine a million armed enemy came as far as Mereshah. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle. What must that have looked like in that valley? 580,000 on one side, a million on the other. But Asa's prepared. He has spent those years helping his people develop dependence on the living God. Obeying his commands, fortifying cities. This means their their families were strong. They were united as a nation. You could have an army of a million, but if they're not united and grounded in the Lord, they're not going to be an effective army at all. We could certainly pack this place out with just people. Not necessarily Christians, not necessarily people growing in the Lord. We could entertain people. We could give free stuff away. We could try all kinds of tricks and gimmicks to raise our numbers. But we will be completely ineffective to accomplish the mission God has set us out to accomplish. And when the first trial comes, watch the people scatter. When you cut off the entertainment... They'll go find somewhere else to be entertained. Think about that in your own family as you lead your family. Are you preparing your family to stand in the face of trials? Are you preparing your children to stand in the face of trials? Will their faith pass the test? Is Paul's faith going to pass the test? I hope so. We pray so. His parents have poured into him. You've poured into him. This community's poured into him. Here's what Asa says. Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. He sees this, this other army as the mighty, and comparatively, they're the weak. There's no one else to help us. He's not going to panic and make some unholy alliance with some pagan neighboring nation. He cries out to the Lord, You've gotten us this far. You're our God. There is none like you. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Because they have so invested in their relationship with the Lord, they can say on that day, let not man prevail against you. In other words, if this army defeats us, it's like they're defeating you. We're your people. That would be different than people who've rested in such a way that they're squandering their spiritual inheritance on worldliness, and now the enemy comes in and they're crying out to the Lord, Oh Lord, save me! so that I can go back to my life of comfort and worldliness. Why would the Lord 
want to come to your rescue. If that were the life you were living. By the way, the Lord gives them the victory in a miraculous way. So we move to phase two. Part two, gaining ground in the middle rounds. The middle part of the race. I used to run track, and this was the part of the race where you start trying to close the gap with the guy in front of you and pass him and then work on the next guy. Work on the next guy. Not sprint, but stay disciplined. Squeeze a little bit more out, a little bit more out, a little bit more energy. Don't, don't, don't use it all up because you've got that home stretch still ahead of you. But keep gaining ground. Keep doing the things that got you to the place you were. Advance. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. In other words, don't give up on what got you to this place. Stay consistent. Stay faithful. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and the rest of these things will be added unto you. James 4 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I see too many Christians in the middle part of the race take that blessing from the early part of their race and take their eyes off of Jesus and they get involved up to their necks in all kinds of things that have nothing to do with the kingdom. They take personal credit for their success. Well, my hard work and discipline got me here. Really. All it takes is one unforeseen tragedy to totally throw you into poverty, throw you off track. God has been with you. He has blessed you. Give God the glory. Give Him the credit. And continue doing the things that you know biblically will have good results. Especially because in this middle part of the race, if you have children, they're getting older and they're really watching now. And their heart is open and they're ready to start thinking on their own. Don't reduce your Christianity to religion. As Josh McDowell says, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. They're getting older, they want to make decisions on their own. The situation is ripe for rebellion, and if you have not invested into their hearts, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Continue to invest into building relationship, godly relationship with your family, talking about the Lord together, not preaching at them, talking through the situations of life biblically. I see a lot of parents start out great being involved when their kids are little and they're, they're out of want all the time and maybe they're teaching Sunday school and then their kids hit that junior high, high school phase and they're like, I'm kind of done with them. They're kind of getting obnoxious. Let Nathan handle them. Let Luke handle them. No! Sorry. 
I don't apologize for the no. You need to actually double your efforts. Become more engaged. Now's not the time to back off. I mean, don't squash them. Don't try to control them. That's the worst thing you can do. But be involved in their lives. Look for opportunities for them to serve alongside you. Parents seem to disappear during these years. Maybe it's because in our professional life, that's when our career has really taken off and got more and more responsibility, and that's bringing greater income, which is a great blessing from the Lord. But be careful. Be careful. Not everything that glitters is gold. Count the cost. It'd be wrong of me to say, leave room for God. That's like giving God the leftovers. You put God first, and what's left over? Trust Him with your time, and your job, and your income. But seek first the kingdom. We see in Israel that other runners fell behind. God reminds Asa, for a long time Israel was without the true God. When it says Israel, it's talking about the northern kingdom. Remember that. Not all of Israel. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom, Judah. The prophet's telling Asa, consider Israel. Look what's going on up there. For a long time Israel was without the true God. They turned their backs on the true God. Turned to the spirit of the age. In their case, that was pagan idolatry. In our case, it's just secular humanism. They were without a teaching priest. Oh, they had priests. They went through the motions. But they didn't have a teaching priest. No one to explain the word of God to them. No one to exhort, rebuke, correct. Reminds me of 2 Timothy, when Paul says a time is coming when men will not stand for sound teaching, but they'll heap up for themselves teachers who will scratch their itching ears. And they were without the law. It's, they had the law of God, but without worship of the true God and without somebody teaching them, it's, it's, you might as well not have the law. Like the house where the Bible sits on the shelf but is never opened. Oh, you have the law, but you don't have it. The psalm that Matt Sheridan read this morning, Psalm 1. The, the one who doesn't walk in the way of sinners and stand in the seat of scoffers, or stand in the path of sinners and sit in the seat of scoffers, is the one who meditates on the Word of God. He'll be like the tree planted near waters. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought Him, He was found by them. So when everything went bad, eventually they would turn to God. But, almost too little, too late. God would help them out a little, and then they'd go right back to their old ways. In those times there was no peace to Him who went out or... To him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation, and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. 
I see these Christians, many I know, I love them dearly. They come and they go. They're here for a while and God helps them fix things up and we expend a bunch of energy and prayer and resources getting them back on track and they say, thank you very much, right back up to their old ways. And down their life goes. And now with Facebook, we can track it live. You say, oh dear. Never gaining any ground. Never, never advancing in their walk. Hot, cold, hot, cold. I guess it's better than lukewarm. But how about hot? Stay hot. Stay on fire for God. He says, but you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. That, that metaphor of your hands, always in the Bible, is talking about your actions based on what you believe. Now, in the middle part of the race is the time to redouble your efforts with your spiritual disciplines. Go deeper in the Word of God. Keep ministering. Look for other ways to minister. No, don't get over busy. Yet, sometimes I think we use that as an excuse to not get involved at all. My plan is to so arrange my life that there isn't any room for worthless, non-eternal things. Just squeeze it out, Lord. Fill my day with you and your will and your agenda. I'd rather be tired in the Lord knowing rest is coming eternally than tired running around trying to keep up with the world. Recommit to pure worship and personal holiness. This is what Asa does after the prophet speaks to him. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. He, he did an inventory. Uh, idolatry and bad habits creep back in, don't they? You can't rest on your laurels. You've got, you've got to take inventory of your life and say, oh, this, this, where did that come? How did that get in there? You know, you, you start watching a little TV, not that there's anything wrong with TV, but you wake up one day and it's like, how many hours of TV are we watching suddenly? When's the last time I read anything? Well, I'm too tired to read. I just want to veg. I just not, need to not think. I've been there. You've been there. But it grows and it grows and it grows. And you got to say, no, time to go on a fast. Where has unbiblical thoughts crept in my thinking and taken root? That happens during an election season. Because you want to be on the winning team, and next thing you know, you're cheering for, for what? What does he believe? Is he pro-life? No. 
Is he faithful in marriage? No. Why am I rooting for this guy? Just to be clear, I will never tell anyone how to vote from this pulpit. You, you, you decide that between you and your Lord. I will tell you, though, if, if you're going to call yourself a Christian and live like a Christian, then vote like a Christian. And let the chips fall where they may. Let God sort all that out. Holiness with humility adorns the gospel and draws others to the Lord. Holiness with humility. It says, And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them, for great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with them. This is my favorite part of the sermon, so if you've drifted off, come back. Listen. This is going to be what I believe our greatest chance of evangelism in a culture that is going to you-know-what in a handbasket. When, when they see your joy, your happiness, when they see a solid family, a solid church, and the world no longer has any answers for them, they're going to be drawn to that shiny city on a hill. But if you're not that shining city, they're not going to be drawn to you. Why leave dysfunction for dysfunction? They also won't be drawn to the shining city that's tarnished with pride. Yeah, I got this great life because I'm a great person and I worked hard and you didn't. It's your fault. You're sleeping in the bed you made. I'm sleeping in the bed I made. Where's Christ in that picture? Where's His grace Where's his love that has brought you to that place? Holiness with humility adorns the gospel. Look what happened in people. If you, if, if you don't know your tribes and where they settled down, we're looking at tribes from the north who came down to the south, broke ranks, migrated south. They wanted to be part of what was going on in the southern kingdom. They saw the Lord was with Asa. You know, one of the stories that's not being reported right now, yes, all our focus is on immigration, but the great unreported story is migration. Migration. People are, are leaving the great cities because they're not so great anymore, and they're looking for places where there's families, you know, things we take for granted, Low crime, positive things happening in the community, people helping one another, strong churches. You've got to really mess things up in California to get people to leave this state. This is a gorgeous state. I grew up here. I no intentions of leaving. Like, where would you go? It's California. The weather, the, the beauty, the mountains, the surf, it's all here. And the whole middle class is leaving they're going to have to set up a Berlin Wall. That's so sad, you know. And they're thinking about doing it, not an actual Berlin Wall, but they're thinking of penalizing your, your taxes if you leave. They keep pushing this legislation in Sacramento. 
Those of you state employees, when you retire and you're like, I'm taking my dollars with me out of state, they're looking for ways to penalize you for leaving, to keep your tax dollars. That's not fair. You can't leave. Well, if you want them to stay, then just allow this beautiful state God has given us to flourish and function. Get out of people's lives. Stop cramming your secular humanist ideas down our throat and let Christianity flourish. Number two, influence others to worship the true God. I really like this story. So Asa's got a problem on his hands. The queen mother is still worshiping Asherah. So he's made all these reforms and tried to get rid of idolatry out of Judah. And the queen mother, you know, she's like still into astrology, right? You're like, oh, mom, what do I do? I want to respect my mom. She's, in this case, she's royalty. Finally, Asa decides, I'm going to use my influence to honor God instead of be fearful of the repercussions of confronting the queen mother. And so he cut down her idol, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. We gather from the, from the language here, and we know Asherah was a fertility god, and they would put up Asherah poles, which were replicas of the male reproductive organ. This is how detestable. So his mom's worshiping this thing. And he cuts it down, crushes it, and burns it. Little side note here, though, it says, but the high places were not taken out of Israel. Little, little chink in Asa's armor. He, he, he leaves a great temptation. He leaves those high places where people would go and worship pagans. He gets rid of idolatry, but he, he leaves up the high places. And yet the scriptures still say, nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. We're going to come to find out that in this case, all is generally most of his reign. Most of his reign. When I say influence others to worship the true God, I'm saying in the middle part of the race as you get older, you're going to find that you have the incredible opportunity to influence a lot of people with the gospel. And sometimes you become the, the epicenter, the stronghold of Christianity in your family. And I'm not saying run into your unbelieving family's house and cut down their idols and burn them and, and crush them. Remember, adorn the gospel. But take a stand. You need to speak up, speaking truth and love. You can't change them. You can't force them to believe. That is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to influence them with the gospel. Let the gospel be heard. Even if that means having to draw some difficult lines in the sand. Without going into too much detail, Jennifer and I recently had to draw a line in the sand for 
a family member of hers that was into a practice that God does not condone in His Word. And there were repercussions. You speak up. People, people get angry. You start tipping over idols. And yet it was the right thing to do, the loving thing to do. Caring about people's eternal destiny. You have the opportunity to influence others. Don't get sidetracked with just trying to get along with the world. Be at peace with people as much as you can, Paul says. But preach Christ. Share the gospel. And if there's something you can't take part in, honestly tell them why I cannot take part in that. Don't make up some excuse. Well, we've got other plans or whatever. Say, you know I love you. Because I love you, I need you to know God will not honor this. You are in danger. Thirdly, invest in the kingdom. 2 Chronicles 15, 18. And he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. His father had left behind these sacred gifts and instead of cashing them in and liquidating it and using the money for other things, he rededicated these things to the temple and even brought in some of his own things. He, he invested into honoring God, investing in the kingdom. And I see a parallel here in our own lives. That legacy that was handed down to you, maybe a good, honest Christian legacy, maybe even in the form of money, maybe an inheritance you received. Are you investing that back into the kingdom? Or are you just using it to remodel something or go on your dream vacation or... You know, this, this last generation, because they grew up in a time when money was tight, so many have done a good job saving and, and giving this inheritance to their kids. It just breaks my heart to see somebody squander what took a lifetime to accumulate. You don't have to get legalistic about this. I'm sure it would bless your parents if you use some of that money to do something with the family that would build family memories. But when God increases your income, do you increase your tithe? When God has given you more gifts, more wisdom, more resources, do you invest it back into the church, into the kingdom, into discipling others? Do you invest in missions? Take, take inventory of your life. All right, part three. We're finishing the sermon, finishing the race. I don't know if you consider yourself in that part of the race. I think I just keep being in denial and state. I'm still in the middle, middle race. There's no hard and fast rules as to when, when these markers are. But the point is to finish with a flourish. And Asa did not finish so well, sadly. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up, which is actually down. But since the temple's up, he went up. So he went down. This is the king of Israel. He built a fortress 
on the border between the northern kingdom and southern kingdom and wouldn't let anybody pass. So he was tired of all their talent, all their good people heading south. So he, he builds this fortress, and he's probably keeping open trade from happening. And Asa gets worried. What am I going to do? It's only a matter of time before possibly they, they attack and we have civil war. Instead of seeking the Lord, it says Asa took silver and gold from the treasurers of the house of the Lord. We just read he had t- taken those things and dedicated them to the Lord. Now he's going to take that treasure and he sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. So he's bribing this pagan, foreign king to get the northern kingdom off his back. Bad idea. I say to you today, if you're in that final part of the race, don't start making unholy alliances with the world and justifying it because you're in a bit of a panic. I don't know how many years I have left and, and I have all these people I need to lead to the Lord. Well, that's good. Influence them with the gospel, but don't resort to stopping doing the things God has said are the right things to do. Don't pull out of your ministry. Don't make unholy alliances with the world. I see sometimes with our dear, dear senior saints a a fear, sometimes a bitterness, an anger can wash over them, a sense of panic. Everything's a mess. The country's going to pot. And I, we got to do something now. Look, God's on the throne. He's sovereign. Keep doing the things he says or the things he wants us to do and let, let, let him take care of the rest. Sometimes this is a season of life where you see wonderful, godly, disciplined senior saints invest in some get-rich-quick scheme. Breaks my heart. They get preyed upon. Or they start spending all their time and money on unfruitful endeavors. Their hobbies become their life. I love John Piper's series, Don't Waste Your Life. Talks about the story of the retired couple who spend the last 20 years of their life collecting shells from beach to beach. And he says, What are they going to say to the Lord on that final day? Lord, look at our pretty shells okay to take a vacation, but don't make life your vacation. Retire from your job, don't retire from the Lord. You've got wisdom, so much wisdom, we need it. You've honed your gifts and talents, we need you to serve. I love seeing Sharon Maine with the high schoolers, pouring into the high schoolers. Yes. Like, oh, what are those young people, what would they want me around? Some old fogey. They want you around. Just don't be a grumpy old fogey. (laughs) Yeah, be a pleasant old, thank you. 
Help, help them. We, we, we need you. Now's not the time to quit. Now's the time to sprint towards the finish line. Don't despise the word of the Lord. You know, what's left to learn? I've been a Christian for 70 years. What's left to learn? Plenty. Keep learning. Keep your mind sharp. We're going to be doing it for all eternity. Keep doing it. At the time, Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. So the, the, the prophet comes and rebukes him in the name of the Lord. You put your trust in some pagan foreign king, and now it's going to come back to bite you. That, those Syrians are going to come back. They're going to be a problem. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer, the prophet, and put him in the stocks in prison. For he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. First time we have recorded that a king in the southern kingdom persecutes a prophet. Throws him in jail. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't want to hear what the Lord has to say. If this morning was a rebuke to you because you've gotten off the path, don't kill the messenger. The real messenger is the Holy Spirit speaking into your heart. Now listen, be humble, repent, get back to God's word, get back to doing the things you know are the right things to do in the Lord. Leave a strong church behind. Leave a great example behind. If you have some dollars to leave behind too, put it in a a trust fund and Give it, give it to some Christian ministry. Your kids need that Christian influence and legacy far more than they need your dollars after you're gone. <laughs> Their kids right now are like, we do? <laughs> yes, you do. Finally, don't take your eyes off God by placing your faith in the world. Here's what happens at the end of Ace's life. He gets a foot disease. How ironic. Stopped walking with the Lord. And his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but only sought help from physicians. I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. Here's a guy who started his reign by going to the Lord for everything For everything, and at the end, a disease that started in his feet and eventually took his life wouldn't seek the Lord. Went about things the way the world goes about things. How how sad. What What a sad way to end the race. Jesus ran the race perfectly so we can run with endurance and victory. Jesus ran the race perfect. You don't have to run a perfect race. Jesus already did. But let his sacrificial gift of love encourage you and be the motivation to run with discipline and endurance.
Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and he's referring to all the saints, all the heroes of the faith that came before us. Proof that you can run this race with endurance. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Stop trying to run with a 50-pound vest and a parka on. Throw off worldliness. Throw off sin. Run the race with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's setting the pace. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In other words, he's saying at the end there, if Jesus endured the hardest part of the race so we wouldn't have to, the wrath of God, the hostility brought on him by sinners, then we can run with endurance. We can run with endurance because Jesus took the hardest part of the race out of the equation for us. You know that, that, that steep hill you don't want to run up? It's, 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 it's downhill in a good way. Jesus did the hard part. So we can run all the way to the finish line and be faithful to the end. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you are with us through the entire race. As you said when you gave us the Great Commission, Lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Help each one of us recognize what stage of the race we're in and what changes we need to make today so we can run swiftly and with endurance. Lord, help us to push out everything that would slow us down. That we would run a race that would bring you honor and glory and trust that that kind of race will also bring us good and happiness and joy. For your kingdom's sake and our good, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.